Hey, have a seat, friends. Well, happy Resurrection Day. Yes. And uh, thank you. Welcome to this beautiful spring morning on Easter Day in northern Michigan. It's our first Easter with you folks, and uh, we are so excited. Uh, the weather stinks, but we really, we really love, we really love celebrating with you. Thank you so much to our choir and workers, even with the refreshments. I'm not sure how many people were able to go to the kids' Easter experience downstairs. That was absolutely fantastic, wasn't it? And thank you, yeah, thank you to all the workers that were part of that. Well, some are here today because you believe this wholeheartedly. You know Jesus died for you, you know that he rose again, and you love him with all of your heart. And some of you are here to celebrate for that reason. Some of you also, let's just be honest, some of you are here because your, your mother or grandmother grabbed you by the earlobe and said, it is Easter Sunday and you are going to church. You know, I know how that goes. And either way, we have something for everyone in the next few minutes of our conversation this morning. One of the biggest obstacles often to people believing in Jesus isn't necessarily about Jesus. But often it's about Christians that don't live the way that they say they believe. You know what I'm saying? Hypocrisy. And, and that could be a really big obstacle when people see Christians not living what they say they believe on Sunday and they say, so it must not be real. And we all hate hypocrisy. God hates hypocrisy. We all at some point or another are hypocrites. It's just the reality. A great story about hypocrisy I read once was um, this woman wrote, she said, my brother adopted a snake named Slinky whose most disagreeable trait was eating live mice. She said, once I was pressed into going to the pet store to buy Slinky's dinner. The worst part of this wasn't choosing the juiciest looking creatures or turning down the clerk who wanted to sell me vitamins to ensure their longevity. She said, the hardest part was carrying the poor things out in a box bearing the words, thank you for giving me a home. Here's an illustration of hypocrisy in the religious realm. Francis Fenelon was the court preacher for King Louis XIV of France in the 17th century. Now, check this out. One Sunday, when the king and his attendants arrived at the chapel for the regular service, no one else was there. The king showed up, the preacher was there, and no one else showed up. And the king demanded of Fenelon, the preacher, what does this mean? And here's what the preacher said. Well, he said, I had published that you would not come to church today in order that your majesty might see who serves God and who flatters the king. The big story of hypocrisy. Now, often we speak of hypocrisy of Christians. I want us to adjust our thinking a little bit today, there's hypocrisy of non-Christians, 
of people who don't believe. And I'm sure you're wondering, how in the world can there be hypocrisy of non-Christians? Well, I'm going to talk through that here. And if you would, grab your, your worship folder, your East Bay Weekly, and we're going to look on the back. I'm going to work through some signs of intellectual hypocrisy of society. This is kind of a brain teaser, a little apologetics thing I want to talk about this morning. And then I want to get into the unpopular message that Jesus gave for us all to think about. We're going to have something, whether or not your earlobe is stretched this morning because you had drug to church, or whether you flew to church out of excitement, we got something for all of us here today to think about. We point out often that Christians believe things and then they do things just the opposite. I want to turn things around a little bit here this morning. I want to focus on the hypocrisy of people who say they don't believe in Jesus. This is interesting. I want to give you some thoughts to chew on today, and I want to finish with the Bible's claim that is sure to change your life forever. Here's a few things our society has done that actually betrays their claim that Jesus is a nobody. And they'll say, Jesus is a no one. He's no big deal. No one should follow him. He's a fake. He's a fraud. They'll go through the whole deal. But here's some things that betray all of that. Here's number one. They counterfeit him. They counterfeit him. Now, you know what a counterfeit is. A counterfeit is an imitation of something valuable or important with the intention to deceive or defraud. Now, I just want to give you some quick stats here. In 2011, so seven years ago, over 3,000 people were arrested in the United States for counterfeiting money. $221 million of counterfeit money was removed from the circulation in 2011. $211 million. And as much as $220 million is believed yet to be in circulation still in 2011. Also, over 121 million U.S. counterfeit money was intercepted outside of the U.S. So let me ask you, why do people counterfeit U.S. currency? And the answer is because there's value, right? It's valuable. It is important. There is significance to it. Why does no one counterfeit the wooden nickel? Because there's no value. No one is going to accept it. But they counterfeit the U.S. dollar because it has value. I just want to present this to you. Since Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago, no one has been counterfeited more than he has. There have been impersonators, say of Elvis. Everyone knows all the Elvis impersonators. It's a different deal. People have claimed to be Jesus by the thousands. And the reason why they would claim to be Jesus is not because he's a nobody. Think about it. Here's some names. A long list of names. Here's maybe some names you didn't realize. Did you realize that Adolf Hitler claimed to be Messiah? Here's an interesting one. Krishnaventa he was born Francis Herman Penkovic, and after the war, Penkovic decided to start his own religion, and in April 1948, he stated, I, well, I, I may as well say it, I am Christ. 
He said, I am the new Messiah. He also claimed to have led a convoy of rocket ships to Earth from the extinct planet Neophrates. And in 1951, he legally changed his name to Christian Venta. Um, in December 10th, 1958, there was a suicide bombing from two disgruntled former followers who charged that Venta mishandled funds and had sexual relationships with their wives. Christian Venta. Here's some names if you're near my age and slightly above. Sun Myung Moon. Sound familiar? Unification Church that believes Reverend Moon is the Messiah. How about this one? Jim Jones. Does that sound familiar to some folks? The Jonestown Massacre, 918 people died. Here's where we get the phrase, don't drink the... Exactly. Some more. I remember this in my teen years, David Koresh. And the, the Branch Davidians in 1993, the the government raided their compound in Waco, Texas. I, I remember seeing that on TV, and, and I believe it was near 80 people died in that raid. Here's some other names. Some of these are even still living. Sergei Tarop. This one I, I um, had to practice. Jose Luis de Zeus Miranda. And don't ask me to repeat it. David Shaler is another one. Henry Cristo. Alan John Miller has numerous followers. And these are all people, they're not saying, follow me, I'm a religious leader. These are people saying, follow me, I am the Messiah. I am Jesus Christ. They are counterfeiting him. And gang, the list goes on and on. Just let me rattle these off. Marshall Applewhite. John Nichols Thumb. Arnold Potter. Bala Umala, William W. Davies, Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Kwadian, India, George Ernest Rao, Ernest Norman, William Branham, An Sang Hang, Yahweh Ben Yahweh, Laszlo Toth, Wayne Bent, Arifin Muhammad, Mitsu Matiosi, Hogan Fukunaga, Leah Eden, Thomas Harrison Provenzano, Shoko Asara, Marina Maria Davy Christos, Maurice Clemens, Oscar Ramiro Ortega Hernandez, folks, and the list goes on and on and on and on because people have counterfeited, and here's the reality. There's no person in all of history that has been attempted counterfeits on more than Jesus Christ whose identity has been tried to be stolen more than Jesus. And my thought back to society is, who would want to be a fake of a fake? Who would want to copy a fraud? And the only reason why scores of people have claimed to be Jesus Christ, and I, this is just it, is because he is the real deal. That's why people counterfeit him. If there was any other claim than he is God, why in the world would people claim to be him? They counterfeit him because he's a real deal. Here's number two. 
It's right there in your sheet. Number two, here's the other one. This totally blows away the reasoning of society in regards to Jesus. They curse him. They curse him. Think about it. Why don't swear words exist for other religious leaders? You ever think about that? Really? If you're walking through your house and, and when it's dark and you're, you're going to the bathroom and you step on a Lego in the hallway in your bare feet, why don't we say, Ari Krishna? Who in purgatory put that thing there? Think about it. Why are there no curse words for any other religious leader? Why is it that the only religious leader singled out of all history to have his name used in empty curses is Jesus Christ? Why? And I'm going to tell you why. Because to use any other name, to use the name of Jim Jones or Charles Manson or David Koresh or Adolf Hitler, to use any other name is absolutely and utterly meaningless. It's meaningless. There's no significance to it. There's no substance to using their name. And do you know why? Do you know why there's no substance to using their name in vain? Because no one else is God except Jesus Christ. Here's number three. They cut him out of culture. They cut him out of culture. Why the wars on holidays celebrating Jesus? Why is Easter break now just spring break? You know what, folks? About a month ago, I looked up on my iPhone, um, and, I, and I pulled up April 1st for Easter. And there was April Fool's Day. Good Friday was not on there. And Easter was not on there. I thought, that's really odd. And I was in staff meeting with a couple others, and we looked it up. And we realized every other religious holiday is on there. You could find June 15th, which is Idol Fitter, which is the end of Ramadan. Possibly you're all familiar with the holiday on June 19th, which is called Juneteenth. I'd never heard of it in my entire life. My phone recognized the religious festivals for every other religion. It did not recognize, though, for you Star Wars fans, the Star Wars Religion Day of May the 4th, which is May the 4th be with you. But other than that, it recognized everything. Good Friday and Easter. Why is Christmas break now winter break? Why Merry Xmas? Why the push to eliminate major scenes and songs of Christ and the Ten Commandments and crosses and biblical phrases? Why the passion to remove all of that with no concerted effort in society to cut out symbols, statements, or holidays of other religious groups or personalities? Why? If Jesus is no better than Buddha or Hare Krishna 
or Sun Myung Moon, then why is he the only one truly targeted by our society? And I'd like to submit this. I believe this is some ironclad reasoning for us that the fact that man counterfeits Jesus, curses Jesus, and cuts Jesus out of culture, and that their focus is not on any other religious leader out there just might betray their assertion that Jesus is a nobody. That he's no big deal. And I'm going to tell you this, it is intellectual hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. To say he's nobody and yet he's their obsession to get rid of and curse and counterfeit. It's interesting. I know that it's a big deal. It's a lot to think about. But I want to tell you the reason why there's all the fuss, and I just want to say it boldly and plainly, is there's only one God. There's only one in total control of all things in the universe, and his name is Jesus Christ the Lord. Yeah. Committing to him is a big leap for some here this morning. You've got to admit there are some Brain-teasing thoughts in all of that. No person has had more opposition than Jesus. No message has had more opposition than the one I'm going to give you right now. So grab your copy of the Scriptures, or grab your iPod or iPhone or whatever may be the case, and turn to 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And uh, if you are looking that up, in your Bible, it is most of the way through to the right-hand side. If you see the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then there's Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. That's what you're looking for, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'm going to read the first eight verses. And how about I just have you stand with me? Here's our last chance to get the blood flowing before the end of our service. 1 Corinthians 15 Verses 1 through 8. Folks, this is the message. This is the message that people are being imprisoned for in other countries in our world. This is the message that some people are being killed for in other countries of our world. And this is the message that is becoming less popular in our world. Nation, and it's the one that we boldly proclaim here at East Bay Calvary. And starting in verse 1, down to verse 8, let me just read this for you. It says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. Here's the message. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep or died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, 
And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Father, I just ask in our remaining few moments together that this unpopular message might gain our love and loyalty and passion here this morning. God, you are worthy. And your son, Jesus Christ, deserves all credit and praise and glory here in this place globally and both now and forevermore. We preach his name, we love his name, and we exclaim all of this in his name. Amen. Okay, have a seat. This is a creed of the early church. I just want to give it to you in our concluding time. This is the unpopular message. This is the thing that some people are saying, you know what, no big deal, let's gloss it over. This is the thing even some churches have begun to get soft on. And I just, I just want to echo it here this morning and beller it out for us. The reality of this message, this is life, this is health, this is healing, this is forgiveness, this is everything you and I need from the real God-man, Jesus Christ. And here is this creed starting in verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And here's the first part of the creed. It's also a blank there on your study guide. And it is this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried. Here's that number one, that Jesus died on a cross and was buried. I want you to understand something about this. We've all seen the symbols of the cross. Many know what it stands for. Can I tease your mind for a second? How do you know Jesus really died on a cross? It's a good question, isn't it? We just accept it by faith. I read it in the Bible, so there it is. And I'll tell you, it's enough for me. God's word is true inside and out. I want to read for you a few other things. There were people there. There were people there that wrote things down. There were people there that wrote things down then that other people wrote things down. There's historians that documented this all the way back in the first century. Can I just give you a few of them? That the reality that Jesus died on a cross and was buried is documented for all of history. Josephus, a first century Jewish historian, this is not a church insider. This is someone who would have been against Jesus being Messiah. Noted specifically this, when Pilate, upon hearing him accused by men of the highest standing amongst us, had condemned Jesus to be crucified. That's a man who had no love for Jesus. Tacticus in the second century reports, Nero fastened the guilt of the burning of Rome and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians. Christ, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our torturers, Pontius Pilate. Tacticus mentioned Jesus was crucified. 
Lucian of Samasta, a Greek satirist, wrote that Christians worship a man who was crucified. And the Talmud reports on the eve of the Passover, Jesus was hanged on the cross. I, I want you to realize that our understanding and belief that Jesus died on the cross and was buried is a biblical belief. It is also a historical belief. Even John Crossan, he is the highly critical scholar of the Jesus Seminar. Here's what he writes, that he was crucified, that Jesus was crucified is as sure as anything historical can ever be. He goes on, it's as sure as Abraham Lincoln was shot, as sure as World War II was occurring, as sure as George Washington was our first president. And I'm here to tell you, gang, anyone who wonders Boy, maybe this whole Jesus died on the cross thing, maybe that's just a religious thing. Oh, it's our thing, certainly. It's a historical thing as well. Everyone knows, and if someone says, Jesus, maybe he didn't die on the cross, then they're dealing with something other than facts. Because he did. He died on the cross and was buried. That's a historical reality. Here's the personal reality. You see why? Can you look it up right there? That Jesus died and are you looking at it in your Bible? I'm going to have you say it with me. I think our translations will be close enough. That Jesus died, and here's why. For our... Here's why. He didn't die for his sins. He died for ours. The prophet Isaiah said it 600 years before Jesus was even born. He says, but he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities or our sins. The punishment that brought us peace with God was on him. By his stripes were healed. Jesus died for our sins. I'm just going to tell you, here's the gospel in a nutshell. This is what it is. This is what I believe with all my heart. This is what God wants you to believe with all your heart. Folks, here's what it is. Our sin deserves to be punished. Our sin deserves punishment. God is holy and just, and our sin will be punished. One of two ways. Either we believe that when Jesus died on the cross, that he was punished for our sin in our place. He took our place and our sins punished by him and we're free. Or if we don't believe that, we'll bear our own punishment for our sin in a place called hell. It's that simple. The Bible says he who believes in the Son has life. He who does not believe in him does not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So the reality of the gospel message that Jesus died on the cross and was buried, the reason why he died, it wasn't for his sin, it was for your sin, folks. It was for my sin. He died as the perfect sacrifice. And if we believe in him, the Bible mentions we are forgiven. If we don't believe, our sin will be punished it's just we have to bear our own punishment for it in a place called hell. The selfless act of the Son of God was so significant. It is not only the story of Scripture. It's plastered in all of the early days of history. Everyone knew Jesus died on the cross and was buried. And everyone knows he did, he did it to bear our penalty for our sin. Here's number two, and I'm going to move through these quick. Here's number two. Not only do we know he died on the cross and was buried, number two, 
that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Number two, we know the tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. He was raised on the third day just as the scriptures said he would, just as he said he would. And I'm going to tell you this, this may blow your mind. It is not only Christians that understand this reality. Nearly all historical scholars agree the tomb of Jesus Christ was empty after three days. The empty tomb is attested to not only by Christians, Jesus' enemies admitted it as well. And, and here's how we know. This whole Christianity thing just blew up within two or three weeks of his death. Thousands of people were believing in Jesus. And all they would need to do is go over to some garden tomb and say, hey, what are you talking about? You're saying he rose from the dead. He's, he's in this tomb. We've gone through this... Um, war overseas and the popular thing to do is when when a leader is killed for their face to be seen because that demoralizes all the followers and in the bible times when there's 15,000 believers within three weeks of the death of jesus all they would need to do is go over the tomb and say you guys are mistaken he's in there and just the reality that this gained traction meant the tomb, folks, was empty. It was empty. Jesus was killed in Jerusalem. The church started in Jerusalem. If there was one location that they could have shut this whole thing down and said it's all a fraud, it would have been in Jerusalem. Former Oxford University church historian William Wand writes this. This is great. All the strictly historical evidence we have in favor of the empty tomb and those scholars who reject it ought to re recognize they do so on some other grounds rather than scientific history. Folks, I'm not just telling you biblical truth. I'm telling you historical, scientific truth. Jesus Christ died on the cross and was buried. He rose again the third day and the tomb was empty and here's number three and he has been seen he was seen and this is how the text plays out he appeared to cephas or peter and then to the 12 and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters and here's the key at the same time 500 people don't hallucinate the same thing at the same time most of whom are still living at the time of this writing, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, who was the brother of Jesus, who didn't believe in Jesus beforehand. And then he appeared to Paul, <coughs> whose name was Saul, who was a persecutor and killer of Christians. And God turned him around like that. And the scriptures say Jesus appeared to people, and when he did, their lives were changed. Everything about them changed. When Jesus showed up on the scene, people were never the same. And we saw that because here's these disciples 
who were scared to death. And when Jesus showed up to them after he rose from the dead, these wimps turned into warriors and even were killed for their faith. We see Peter, who was denying Jesus, all of a sudden he was going to bat for him. And we find from church history, Peter was crucified but didn't believe he was worthy to be. And so he was crucified upside down for his faith in Jesus. We see Paul, who was a persecutor of the church, now turned the greatest promoter of the church and even wrote 13 books of the New Testament. When Jesus showed up on the scenes, people's lives were changed. Who he appeared to, things were different. And here's what I want to express to you folks. I didn't talk this morning because we need to fill up a half hour of our time. I want to talk this morning because what we celebrate today, the resurrection of Jesus, it needs to change our lives. We ought not be the same. And, and, and if you're a long earlobe person this morning who was drugged here, here's a step I want to encourage you with this morning. Some of our application. For those wondering, for those skeptics, for those questioning, I understand I've had to work through these things too. I'd love for you to think about this. I'd love for you to think about accepting this and believing it. If you are here today, some of this is new to you, you're testing things out, you're wondering, what's really up with this Jesus thing? I'm just here to tell you, you are on the right track. Okay, you are, you are sniffing down the right path here, folks. You are on the track of the one and only God, Jesus Christ. You are on the track of the one who did die for our sin, the one who can forgive us and give us a relationship with God and turn our lives around. You are moving in the right direction. And I just want to encourage you, if you've been a skeptic, if you're wondering, if, if you're here out of guilt today, well, at least you're here. I just want you to think about really accepting this and believing it. I would say your next faith move may be showing up here next week. Saying, let's try this thing out again. Your next faith move might even be a crazy bold one, and that's going on our church website at eastbaycalvary.org and emailing one of our staff and saying, you know what, I was here. I need some more answers. Would you meet with me and talk to me? Or your next faith move may be when you go home and mom who grabbed this thing and pulled you here and you're all sitting around the table your next faith move may say, you know what, maybe there's something to all this. Tell me more around your dinner table. But if you're a skeptic and if you're wondering, I'm here to tell you, you're in the right place and you're thinking about the right thing. And this is the right person you need to continue to think about. And you need to really consider accepting and believing that Jesus died on the cross for you and was buried and rose again. It's fact. It's fact. Here's the second one. If you're here today and you're excited, if you're a believer and you're saying, I know about this Jesus and I've given my life to him, I'm going to say, praise God. And here's what I want to tell you. I want, I want to tell you to live it with all your heart. I want to tell you to live it with all your heart. God gave everything for us. He expects and deserves everything in return. And truthfully, I, am, I believe that the church of Jesus has met its quota of dead, grumpy, or lazy Christians. We need no more of those in Christianity. In fact, we need to turn the tide and 
have people that really love God that are sold out, that just want to obey him and live for him and tell other people about him. We need those people to be the poster children for Jesus. Amen? I, I read about these folks that went to the Golden Corral restaurant. I wish there were one in Traverse City. Amen. Another amen. Wow. We're just full of amens today. This is great. And there was this man, it says, there he stood in the midst of the Golden Corral restaurant with Thousand Island dressing dripping from his hair. Over his glasses, down his face, all over his jacket, his pants, his shoes. It says, and I'm not talking about just a little bit of Thousand Island dressing, I'm talking about two gallons of it. And what had happened, there was a waitress carrying a two-gallon open container of Thousand Island dressing for the salad bar. She paused for a moment, just a second, while coming through the swinging doors of the kitchen. And the doors caught her and lunged her forward, launching two gallons of dressing all over this man. And he went nuts. He started shouting. He started cursing at her. He was saying, you are so stupid. I can't believe you could do such a stupid, stupid thing. He said, this is a brand new suit. And it cost me $300. And his wife came right over to his aide and said, yeah, you just ruined my husband's $300 suit. And it's the first time he had a chance to wear it. I want to see the manager. Thoroughly shaken, the waitress went and got the manager, and the manager came out. Now picture this. Here's a guy with two gallons of Thousand Island dressing on his head. And the manager says, is there a problem? <laughs> is there a problem? She just ruined my $300 suit. It's brand new, and I want a new suit. The manager says, well... Sir, we will be happy to get your suit clean for you. Accidents do happen. We are so sorry for this. And he said, no, nope. I don't want my suit cleaned. I want a brand new suit. I demand a check for $300 right here and right now. And to avoid this big scene, the manager goes back to his office, writes out a check for 300 bucks, hands it to him. And just then the man's daughter came up to him and said, well, daddy, at least you got to wear it to church today. Ooh. That just doesn't feel good, does it? I'm sure you're wondering, how, how would you handle that? I don't, how would you handle that? I, number one, that's why I wear jeans to church, people. 1999. That's all. They could just refund my dinner, and it's it's clean. We're we're a wash. How would you handle it? <laughs> Pour salad on you and start eating. You know, I don't I don't know. <laughs> I don't know exactly how to handle it. I think we know how not to handle it, right? Probably one of the best opportunities even to example grace. You know, the grace that we Christians have received from Jesus, turn around and extend it to someone else. 
Like, don't worry about it. You think I'm a mess now? You should have seen me years ago before I met Jesus. So friends, when Jesus showed up, he changed people. And if you're a long earlober today, or if you're someone who's been worshiping Jesus for a long time, I just extend the opportunity for you to be different, changed, more like him. Accept it and believe it. You're not, you're not some crazy person. You're not a lunatic to, to believe in Jesus is actually pretty rock-solid arguments for him. And when you do and he changes your life, man, it's awesome. It really is. Keep walking down this path. He is alive. No question, one theologian said, no question if Jesus is alive, just a question if his followers are. And that's probably where it's at. Can I pray for you this morning? Would you just close your eyes with me? And if you've been thinking about this, and you realize you've got some more steps to take, maybe you're here and you're thinking it's by accident. I'm just here to tell you it ain't. You're not here by accident. Because Jesus wants to show up to you. He wants to change you. If you're a long-time believer, let's really show it. And not just in the restaurant, but at home. Would you think in your heart the decision you want to make for Jesus today? If you need to believe he died for you, tell him you're a sinner. Just express it from your heart. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've screwed up. And I know my sin needs to be punished. And God, I believe right now with all my heart and when Jesus died on the cross, he was my substitute. He took my penalty. I believe it. Forgive me. Change me. Make me your child. If you need to pray that to Jesus right now, do it. Right in your seat, right from your heart, you tell him that. If you're a believer and you need to step up your game, let's do it, gang. He's alive. Let's show it. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the empty tomb. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for purpose. Thank you for new life. Thank you for hope. And thank you for an eternity in heaven. All because of today. And God, for folks, the skeptics that are sniffing down this path, continue to help them. They're on the right track. Let's keep doing this. Let's figure this thing out. Let's really give our lives to you once and for all. And for my friends, my siblings, and Jesus, help us, Lord, to look more and more like him every day. Not only do we need that, 
But God, our community needs to see little Christs all around. And may that be said of East Bay Calvary Church. God, we love you. And all the church said,